All right, so we are in actually two chapters because they're so short. Uh, and what's nice about the next two chapters is it's like story. So we're going to read Leviticus 9 and Leviticus 10. Um, there's going to be a couple crazy stories we're about to read. So just prepare your heart for a little bit of death, um, but it'll be good. So Leviticus 9 and 10, we'll read those and then we will get into it. Leviticus 9 verse 1 says this. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take a bull for yourself, a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat, for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. <laughs> so Aaron drew near to the altar, killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him. And he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering and Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar. They handed him the burnt offering piece by piece in the head and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering and he took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it for a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar beside the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breasts and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from the offering, from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, this is the next day, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. 
and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die. And wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons, Take the grain offering that is left of the food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings, for so I am commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you. For they are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as I do forever as the Lord had commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary? Since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. Behold, it was not brought into you into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. Would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. All right, the word of the Lord. Let's thank God for it. Jesus, you are so good, and and your word is good. And uh, I thank you for these two stories, these two days that are um, right next to each other, God, and, and for how it shows us who you are, Lord, that you, you are the lamb that was slain and you are also the lion of the tribe of Judah. God, that you are merciful and yet you are holy. God, that you are, are near to us and with us and closer to us than anything and yet you are still perfect and holy and to be feared. God, you are, are worthy. And so right now, would you just bless us together as we open your word, teach us what, what you wanna say to us from your word, God. We love you. Thank you for these that are able to come and be here, God. Would you sustain them in their minds? And above all, would you speak to them? Show them who you are, God. We want to behold your glory tonight. You are worthy. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so 
a question we've, we've uh, seen in Leviticus from day one is like, how can we really know who God is, right? And if, uh, if you remember, it's, Leviticus starts off and it says, the Lord called Moses to him. And, you know, I, like, the more we grow up and the more we see other religions and you learn about other countries and even about history and how, like, not the vast majority of human history have believed in the Bible, uh, it can be pretty overwhelming. Like, how, how can I really know what is true? And how can I know that, like, this book is right? Because the more we are exposed to other cultures and their ideas of God, it's like, man, how do I know? How can I know who God is and what he is like? And at, and at the end of the day, all we really have is our experience of God, right? Like, the, I just know how I've experienced God. And is this real? And in these two chapters, God is displaying who he is. And like, he's, he's kind of juxtaposing two of his most prominent characteristics. And, and just to answer that question right off the bat, how can I know who God is? Look at verse four of chapter nine. It's, it starts with this. Uh, no, not verse four. Um, yep, the end of verse four. Today, the Lord will appear to you. And like, that's really, really key. Just as a reminder, we talked about this like the very first night, but how do we know what's true about God? How can we know? The only way to know is if there is a God, he shows up and he appears and he reveals himself. That's the only way to know. How can I know what's true about God? Well, if God is real and God shows up and appears and tells you about himself, then you have something trustworthy. And think about this, you guys. God, not only is God, the God of the Bible, approachable, he actually pursues you. Think about that. Not only is God like, hey, you want to come meet with me? I'll be over here. My door's open anytime. Like God actually shows up and appears to humanity. The Lord will appear to you. You guys, God can be known. Truth about God can be known because God says, look, I'm going to appear. I'm going to reveal myself. Even from Leviticus, he's like, I'm going to appear to you. He's about to appear to the entire congregation. Um, We see him then come in Jesus, right? God appears to us, to humanity. And then he comes and he appears through his spirit. And you right now have, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit in you. You, God has appeared to you. And there's also coming a day when God will appear in the sky. If you had any doubts, he will be there in the sky. And he's gonna be, he's gonna come back. And then if you're a Christian, you will be in God's presence and he will be more real and more felt and more seen than literally like the sun on, like the sun in the sky. In some crazy way in the new earth, there's no sun. I don't know how it works scientifically, but God will be like the sun. The light on your face that you can go look at and you can feel like that will be our experience of God. Right, the Bible says right now, we see through a mirror dimly. Like, yes, God appears to us and shows himself to us, but like, it's, we still have doubts and we still are trying to wrestle through things. But there will be a day, you guys, when you will see God face to face. That's incredible. That's who our God is. And God is in these two chapters saying, okay, I want, I want to display to you who I am. And the Bible, there's, there's many different like themes of who God is, uh, different like I'm the shepherd or, or whatever. But um, there are these two pictures of Jesus that sum up who he is. And I don't know of any two chapters 
placed next to each other that more clearly display who Jesus is than these two chapters in Leviticus, honestly. And it's that Jesus is a lion and a lamb. That's who Jesus is. He's like, do you know who I am? I'm like a lion and I'm like a lamb. And I'm going to display that of who I am in Leviticus 9 and Leviticus 10. In general, we see the lamb and the presence of God and the pursuit of God and that he's so near to us in Leviticus 9. And in Leviticus 10, he's like, and I'm still a lion and don't mess with me. And I'm holy. And look what happens when I flex my muscles. And everyone's like, oh my gosh. So we're going to see the two characteristics of Jesus in these two chapters. And so we're just going to walk through those. And we're going we're gonna to behold our God right now in these verses. And so uh, the first thing to notice, chapter 9, verse 5. It starts off, the setting, the setting, what's happening is it says, they brought what Moses commanded and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Okay, so up to this point, all that Leviticus has been is, is instruction. There's like this, there's been no storyline. It's just been instruction. But the storyline starts in chapter nine and worship starts in chapter nine. So all of one through eight God's like getting us ready for church, getting them ready to meet with him. And then it starts in chapter nine. And so they bring all the things they're supposed to bring. Like, just think of like the sound of animals and they're all just like waiting for church and there's just animals up there. That's like what happened. They're, they're bringing, they're standing before the, before the Lord in anticipation, okay? And, and notice, um, it says they, they did what Moses commanded. There's a point here, you guys, when we obey God, when we do what he commands, it, it leads to like really good things, okay? It's, it's this, they're doing what God has said. Obedience precedes blessing from God. Blessing from God. In chapter, or in verse six, this is the thing the Lord commanded you to do. Why? That the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Like, do you want to see the glory of the Lord? I do. So, so like, do what he commands you to do. There's actually this pattern. If you do what I tell you, watch what I'm about to do. Watch what I'm about to do. If you were over it that day, you just didn't show up to church, like, bummer, right? Like, you missed out on something incredible. And so, so two quick notes on obeying Jesus, because obedience really matters even to a Christian right now to you. Um, number one, you guys, obedience is for our good. Oftentimes, like, we think of God, like, just trying to ruin our life, but we just got to do it, and it'll be worth it one day. But listen to this verse in Isaiah 48. When you doubt obeying Jesus is worth it, listen to Isaiah 48, verses 17 and 19. And things are going really bad for them at this point. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like waves of the sea. God is actually in heaven like, oh, that you would have obeyed me. You're like, you want peace? That would have been flowing like a river if only you obeyed me. You guys, when we obey Jesus, uh, we'll, we'll put it this way. When we don't obey Jesus, we are like a fish trying to live outside of water. That's literally what it's like. Like you were designed by God, you were created to live in a certain way. And God's like, hey, this is it. And when we rebel, we're like, I'm sick of this water. 
I'm going to go be like those birds and those animals, and I'm going to go be free. Freedom, right? I'm just sick of these rules. And we jump out of the water, and like, are we free? Like, we can't breathe. We can't move. We flop around until, like, a seagull comes and eats us. You, when we obey Jesus, we are, we are operating in the way we were designed to flourish, Oh, that you would obey me, that your peace would be like a river and your righteousness like waves of the sea. So just when you're tempted and sin is right in front of you, remember, remember that it's actually better and for your good and for your flourishing to obey Jesus. That's the first note on obedience. The second note on obedience is when we obey God, like God shows up in some crazy way, God shows up. Verse six, this is the thing the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. That the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And, and here's, here's kind of how this practically uh, works out. Like, we were not saved because we obeyed God. We actually all disobeyed God. We were saved by grace. So your foundation of your relationship with Jesus is that you disobeyed, but God loves you anyways. But now that you've been saved by grace, the more you obey, the more your relationship will grow. And the more you rebel, it's like spitting in the face of this person that you want to have a relationship with. Without obeying God, like there's no relationship. There's just no relationship. Like you're not going to experience the glory of the Lord when you're just like, peace out. Thanks for saving me, but I'm, I don't want you anymore. I don't want your ways. I want my ways. And, and as we grow in love for Jesus, Jesus says, if, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. This is like the way relationships flourish is when we're not just like, screw you. I don't want to be with you. The more you obey Jesus, the more you're going to experience his presence and his glory in your life. That's just true. And then the last thing to notice here is um, I want to point out that in verse, what is it? Verse five, I think. Yeah, verse five. It says, all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Uh, This is a picture right here of like what we're actually doing. It says picture of a gathering, a corporate gathering. Um, And we, church history changes and ebbs and flows, but we live in a time where the gathering of the saints is like, it gets criticized pretty often, right? We're like, hey, gathering's cool, but like, you know, it's really about discipleship or it's really about like community or it's, it's really about like serving the poor and justice. And like, yeah, gathering's cool. Gathering's cool, but like there, it's really about these other things and I'll gather when I feel like it or when it's convenient for my schedule. And yet the gathering, you guys, is actually, it's, it's essential. It's essential. I'm not saying these other things are wrong. They're not wrong. Yes and amen. But in Hebrews, it says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. The writer's just like calling out some people. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You guys, there's just a special blessing when we gather around Jesus corporately together. There's just a blessing. And, and when we don't gather, uh, do you know how wolves hunt? This is actually so sad. Uh, Wolves will attack a pack and they'll just identify like the loner or the sick one or the one who can't run. So there's actually safety in numbers. So if you're a sheep, you're pretty much your only defense besides your shepherd is like, there's a lot of us. So even when they come to hunt, like hopefully they won't get me, 
right? Like there's just a lot of us. That's actually all kinds of animals like that. But wolves go until they find one that's isolated and then they all just lock in on that one. They lock in on that one. You guys, when we don't gather, we're just like, hey, Satan, attack me. This, like, here I am. I'm, I got no one. No one has my back. No one's telling me where to go. No one's there to protect me. The more we isolate ourselves from the gathering, we're like putting ourselves in danger. And here's the thing. We actually, for our flourishing, need, this is a not popular thing to say, but we need to be submitted to biblical authority. Like, we were created to be under authority. Uh, it's not super popular for like our American freedom, like, no, I rule myself through my vote, but like we were designed to be under authority and we flourish. You guys, God would rather have you be under a sinful, broken authority than have you just be like righteous on your own. He would actually rather you be in a submitting yourself to a sinful group of people. He'd actually rather have that. He, that's better. That's, we need that. He's like, I know they're broken. I know pastors are broken. I know church is broken. Well, heater's coming up. But, but we need to be submitted. And I think what we do is like, oh, those pastors or that person, they don't get me. And so we just move on. Like we need to be under authority. The same thing, you guys, we need, you need to be submitted to one another. We actually need community. Yes, broken humans in our life submitting to one another. Like, this is just true. When we move jobs or move churches because of difficulties, we're bringing our difficulties with us. We just are. We are actually part of the problem. We are broken. And, and so that's just, just, just part of how it is. The gathering, yes, it's broken. The gathering, honestly, sometimes it's ghetto. Sometimes it's like, oh, this is not going well. This is not smooth. This actually, this whole thing is not a show. It's not a show. We, like, we have to have some practical things so we can hear each other and see each other. But this is not a show. This is a gathering around Jesus. And our soul needs to be gathering. And when we do, some really amazing things happen, you guys. So um, good job coming tonight. But I want to encourage you, hey, plug into a church on Sunday mornings. Plug in, commit to it. Like that's in your schedule. You move other things for that. Not to be religious, not because like, yes, I go to church, but for your own good. It is good to be submitted and gathered as a church. So that, so that the whole gathering comes, worship is about to start. Verse, we're going to jump ahead to verse 23, because uh, they make all the sacrifices. Aaron does all the sacrifices. The sons hand it to him. And then verse 23, this is what happens. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And a fire, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Like, I wish I even knew what that looked like practically. Like, was it like this beam of fire? Was it lightning? Like, I don't know, but where it says it came out from before the Lord, what that's saying is it came out from before the Lord is the Holy of Holies, like the mercy seat where like that's only where you can go one time a year. That's what it's talking about there. And so it like shot through the aisle of the tabernacle and it just in front of everyone bursts into flames. And then I love the reaction. They shouted. I don't, I'm maybe because out of fear, I'm not sure if they were just stoked or afraid or what, but they shouted and then they fell on their faces. 
And, and what's happening here is God is consuming sin. He's consuming the burnt offering and the sin offering. He's consuming sin in that moment. He's consuming it. And we know that that is a picture, you guys, of Jesus on the cross as the Lamb of God. Jesus is that Lamb who was consumed completely. The wrath of God, your punishment and my punishment for our sin, it was consumed completely on Jesus. All your guilt was consumed on Jesus. The payment that you owe, the debt you owe God was paid by Jesus. The obedience you're lacking was Jesus was a perfectly obedient sacrifice in that moment. And when that fire came, that's just a pointer to, hey, there's another day on a cross when God will pour out his wrath on his own son for us and sin will be no more. No more punishment, no more condemnation, no more guilt. You don't go, oh God, anything anymore. You can never repay him. Jesus paid your debt in full on the cross, on the cross. And that's, that's what it's a picture of, but it's also pointing us to a future day when not only will sin be consumed, sin will be no more, you guys. There is coming a day when we will not struggle with sin. And we will not struggle with temptation. And we will not see the effects of sin in our own life and our relationships and in the world and in war and in poverty and in depression. Like that day is coming. There is coming a day when sin will be no more. The Lamb of God has overcome and will overcome. And you guys, just to, to take a moment, even, even if you want to close your eyes, I'm just going to read this list of Jesus and who he is as the Lamb of God. You guys think about this. Jesus, the Son of God, was actually killed. He was slaughtered like an animal. He was led and he was spit on and he was beaten and he was bleeding from the crown of thorns pressed in his forehead. And then he was nailed with nails that are like railroad ties through his wrists and through both of his feet. And he was hanging there like a slaughtered lamb. God suffered as the lamb of God. And, and Jesus humbles himself like a lamb, to serve you and me. Jesus humbles himself to the point of, like, I'll take your sin and the punishment you deserve. And so often when I think of Jesus, I think, okay, what, what do I have to do to serve Jesus? And Jesus is like, no, 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 let me serve you. You can't offer me anything. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to leave my throne in heaven and humble myself to the point of death on a cross. Jesus is like, let me serve you. Jesus, as the Lamb of God, is full of mercy and grace when we sinned, like today. Like, like this husband who woos his unfaithful wife who just cheated on him back to himself, Jesus doesn't rid himself of us when we've been unfaithful to him. He, he loves us and takes us back. Because Jesus as the lamb, is his steadfast love is actually better than life itself. Jesus as the lamb offers you more joy than you can find anywhere else. Jesus as the lamb made a way for you to know your heavenly father. 
and invites us in to be adopted as a son or daughter of God forever. Jesus as the lamb is always present. He is so near, he will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus as the lamb is a friend who has loved you better than any friend and is closer to you than any brother or any sister or any friend and he will be more faithful to you every day of your life. Because Jesus is gentle to us. His kindness leads us to repentance. He not only suffers for us, but like he came and suffered with us. He suffers with humanity. Jesus wept over his own friends dying. He enters into brokenness and he weeps with us. Jesus as the lamb is actually safe. If you're a Christian, you can approach Jesus and he will be safe. And like John, the apostle, who actually rested his head on Jesus' chest while they were eating dinner, like you can approach Jesus and you will be safe. You are called to draw near to Jesus. Jesus is the lamb of God. And we see that in chapter nine. He's like, I wanna be with you. I'm the lamb of God who takes away your sins. I am here. Look at my glory that I wanna be with you. That's the Lamb of God. And then the next day, we see another side of God, a good side of God, but one that maybe makes us a little more uncomfortable. We see Jesus as the lion. Look at verse one of chapter 10. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire, which the Lord had not commanded them. Okay, so if you haven't noticed, God is really particular uh, and has been the last nine chapters of like this whole tabernacle deal. He's very particular and he's explaining it in detail. Here's what you got to do and here's what you can't do. And the next day, Aaron's sons, and you know what? I bet you it's because they're like, man, Jesus is like a lamb and he's going to forgive our sins. Let's try this out. Let's see if this works. Let's, or maybe it was proud, like, let's see, let, let us see how powerful we are. How, how much can we, like, press and see what we can get away with? And so they do their own thing. This was never told to be done. And, um, and to be honest, you guys, I think and I see myself in Nadab and Abihu. And, and I think this. I'm like, you know what? As long as I'm, like, trying to worship God, as long as I'm, like, tr- I'm showing up to church, I'm trying, like, I think we kind of like think I can kind of pick and choose what I want to do and what I don't want to do. I'm trying, God, like I'm trying to do all this stuff, but like this thing, I'm going to disobey you. But like, look at all this other stuff. Look, look at all this other stuff. Like I'm trying to be a Christian, um, but there's certain truth, uh, truths about you that I don't really like. And so I'm just going to like rearrange that a little bit. I'm just going to like make you a little more palatable or I want to fit you to, to my preferences. Like we get, we get comfortable with God and, and we are, we're prone to just start bending God into our own image. Um, and here's the truth God is, is saying, hey, you need to approach, I am approachable, but you need to approach me the way I've designed to be approached. You need to worship me the way I have told you to worship me. You need to offer sacrifices rightly. You need to like submit to this book and what it says no matter, no matter how against culture any one area is, like, you need to submit to it. 
You can't just change it. I am so good and gracious, but like you need to humble yourself and sit under me and, and listen to me. Like here's, here's one. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's just what he says. He says that. He says, I alone am the way to the Father. Eternal life is in me alone. The only way for your sins to be taken away is through my blood. Jesus just says that. And, and I think that we're like, yeah, but, but, I, but look at how good God is and look at how loving he is. And does he really mean what he says there? Can't, isn't there just a little bit of room to do my own thing? Um, there's this, I'm only gonna, so I love C.S. Lewis, honestly, but here's like another throw him under the bus. In, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's this picture of this worshiper. He was a priest of Tash, like the, the false god. Um, and Aslan comes to him and he's talking to this priest and he's like, hey, what you were doing to Tash, I'm gonna credit that to me because I know your heart was in the right place. And so, so you'll be forgiven and, and I'll credit your worship to me. And uh, that's honestly, you guys, that's C.S. Lewis. Where did he come up with that? Honestly, like that just sounded nice. What about all the other religions? Wouldn't it be nice if God just says, yeah, I know your heart was in the right place. So I'm just gonna cr- just change the name to all those gods to Jesus for you and, and I'm gonna forgive you. Um, you guys, like that's, that's not true. And that's just an example where we're like, oh, but wouldn't it be nice if we could just do it this way? Wouldn't it be nice if you never heard of Jesus, if you could be saved somehow? And yeah, it would be nice, but we don't have the right. We don't have the right to adjust what is in this book. God is a lion. And he says, don't mess with this. And when you do, it's not going to go well. And, and honestly, as humans, it feels unfair sometimes when we read this. When we talk to people who have some really difficult experiences, it's, it feels unfair. And I think it's okay to be honest with God, like, God, this is really hard for me. Um, and I think we just have to remember, like, we're human beings, and our minds are this big. And God says, my ways are not your ways. My ways are not your ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth. And, and he, this, you guys, even it makes sense. Like, what if I were to say, hey, I have one cell phone number. You can call me anytime you want. And you say, yeah, but I want to use any number I want. Like, it just doesn't make sense. If God is God and he has an identity, he says, hey, come to my house. Here's my address. And we say, yeah, but I think any way I go should lead to your house. Like, it actually doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense. God is who he is. He's revealed who he is. And how amazing that he's like, come know me. Come to my house. I will love you and die for your sins. Like, come to me. And then for those people who haven't heard about Jesus, you guys, the, how we deal with that is how important is missions? How important is missions? How important is it to actually obey what Jesus says, go into all the nations? Not just so they can hear it's like a nice truth, like, no, it really matters. It actually matters for eternity that people hear the name of Jesus. And, and it's not okay for us to say, yeah, but I don't really like that. So let's just change it and I don't have to do missions because that's hard. Like God is so good and he says, come to me, anyone, and I'll love you and forgive you, but, but you have to come the way I have told you. And then we see in verse two, the consequences of 
Like, and honestly, it's like, really, they were offering worship to God. Like, we see the consequences when we do things our own way. Fire came, the same fire yesterday that came again comes and it consumes them and they die before the Lord. They die before the Lord. Um, I mean, I can't even really fathom. Um, but but here's, here's something that's true. You know what's crazy? What happened to those guys is actually what every human deserves when they rebel against God. And what's crazy is God doesn't do that. What's actually crazy is he sees our sin and he's like, I'm going to hold back my wrath that they may hear of me and that they would come and repent and be covered in my blood. There are, there are times where God's like, you know what? I'm just going to give people what they deserve. Uh, but what's more amazing is when he doesn't do that. What's more amazing is when we just blaspheme God and like, we're still here. That's actually amazing. And there are times like the flood, he's like, that's, that's what humanity deserves. Sodom and Gomorrah, that's what they deserve. Even in the New Testament, this couple lied about the amount of money they made on a house to give to the church and they die on the spot. New Testament, Jesus died on the cross and then they get struck down in the New Testament dead. Um, and I think something that goes through our heads here is like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's Old Testament. Like God is more gnarly in the Old Testament, but Jesus came and he mellowed God out and now he's safe. And that's actually not true, you guys. He, he just graciously saved them from slavery. He just graciously led them and provided for them. He just graciously said, look how I'm gonna make your sin be forgiven. And then he says, so then just obey that. Like he has been gracious in the Old Testament. He has been gracious. And what's really going on here, you guys, is an abuse of God's grace. That's what's actually going on. God is so good and gracious, so I can disobey him and I'm gonna be okay. This is actually a picture of what happens when we have that attitude towards the grace of God. God, thank you for your grace. Um, I'm gonna do what I want. And then eventually one day I'm gonna get right with you. Like we're seeing here the effects when we abuse the grace of God. Um, and God is so gracious and he's still holy at the same time. He doesn't stop being holy. He doesn't stop being just. Uh, there is this quote I read and it says, true forgiveness produces holy awe. Like it should actually lead you to be in awe of God when you see what he's done for you. Something's off if you're like, thank you, God. I'm out. I'm going to do what I want. Maybe you don't understand the grace of God. When you know your sin and that he has taken your punishment, that should produce this holy awe in you. Like, oh my gosh. It's like, um, I don't know if I've told this story here. Did I tell you a story when I almost fell off uh, Yosemite Falls? I'm gonna tell it real quick. Okay. Um, I was a senior in high school. Hey, Riel, could you just turn on the fan? Is that okay? Just it helps. Thanks, dude. It's awkward in here. Why? Listen, it's just awkward. That's better. Okay, so I was a senior in high school and I was hiking and we hiked, if you're ever in Yosemite, you can like hike up to Yosemite Falls and it's not a long hike, but it's just like straight up. And so you get there and you're exhausted and you can just, it was summer, so the water was low and you could just look, you could, you could walk up to the edge of the waterfall and just look and it's like very far. Um, and so I'm, I'm doing this and I'm walking and I was wearing running shoes because I was like, hiking boots are dumb. So I'm just wearing like my old running shoes and I'm doing this and we're all looking and then I, I'm like, I'm not even going to turn around. I'm just going to walk backwards. And as I'm walking backwards, I literally slip. 
I literally, my feet do this. I'm, and it's right there. My feet do this. And a full-blown, like, fall on your back. And all, everyone everywhere is just like, <gasps> and like, you're just laying there and your adrenaline and like, I, like that was death. And I'm just, and I just realized I deserve death. I was stupid and death was right there and I'm still alive. When, when that should be our experience, when we know how God has saved us, like I deserved eternal death and he rescued me. It should have that like visceral, oh my gosh. And then what a slap in the face if we're like, thank you, God. And now, and then we just continue to live recklessly and we continue to abuse him. God is still holy. And the more we understand our forgiveness, the more it produces this thing in us that's called the fear of God. The fear of God is a good thing. It's actually a Bible thing. Look at, uh, let me read to you Psalm 130 verse four. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The gospel, the blood of Jesus should lead you to fear God. It should lead you to be like, oh my gosh, God is so holy and so righteous and that God saved me. The fear of God is, should be part of how you walk with Jesus. Like, it's like you go on a walk with a lion next to you. And because of the gospel, the lion actually loves you and he's for you. But guess what? He's still a lion. And you look over at like his claws and his teeth and his power and you know in one second that lion could, if he, like if he turns on you, it would be really bad. But he's actually safe because he loves you, but he's still a lion. He's still a lion. And when people who have not really been saved abuse his grace, there are times in the Bible where he's like, hey, don't forget who I am. I'm still a lion. I am still a lion. And this is so heavy, but uh, the fire, remember where it comes from? It came from the mercy seat. There's this thing in the tabernacle called the mercy seat, which it was called the mercy seat because it represented the covering of sins. It's like a seat, like you put it on top of the Holy of Holies, it's the mercy seat. God is merciful. He covers our sins. Um, that's pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the mercy seat who covers our sins. Um, but imagine the fact that fire came from the mercy seat to kill them. The place where mercy is it then came to kill them. That commentary I've been reading, the guy from the 1800s says this. It is like the events that will attend Christ's second coming when from himself, the mercy seat itself, fire shall consume his foes and their cry, though the lamb himself hear it, shall be in vain. He consumes all that have defiled him. And many among these shall be found in the act of holding up the incense of vain worship and they will be consumed. There's gonna be a day when Jesus comes back and everyone's like, okay, okay I'll worship you, Jesus. That's like, that's like the worship of Nahab and Abihu. Like, okay, I'll worship you, I'll worship you. And he's like, I know your heart. You aren't worshiping me. You're trying to save yourself. And the lamb comes back. The mercy seat himself comes back and judges the world. 
chapter 10, verse three, God says this. This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, the lamb, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. You guys, to be near to God, praise God, we can be. God is to be sanctified, meaning set apart, holy, like unlike anything else. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Um, the nearer you are to the Lord, the more holy and the more fear of him you should have, as, as crazy as that is. There's this, this story. So we know David. We, we love David. If you read the Psalms, you're like, man, he understood the lamb. He understood how good it was to be near the Lord and pour his heart out to the Lord. And there's this time in his uh, life where he was finally king and the, the enemies stole the ark. And he was like, hey, let's go get the ark back. That's like God. That's God. That's the ark. So he goes to get the ark back. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to come like... I'm, I'm going to get a brand new cart and these new oxen and it's going to be awesome. We're going to bring it back and we're going to celebrate. And so he puts the ark there and the, this walking on this cart and they're worshiping their hearts out and an oxen stumbles and it, the cart does this and a guy touches it and he dies. And David, it says he is angry. He's like, God, what are you doing? And did you know that God told people, hey, when you carry my ark, only the Levites carry it, and they carry it with poles. It's just like a random little detail. Who knew that? So David's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to get a cart, and it's going to be new and nice, and we're going to roll in, and it's going to be awesome. And God is, is saying, hey, you have no respect for my little commandments, and I want you to see how you need to fear me. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David feared the Lord that day. That day was the beginning of the fear of the Lord growing in David's heart. And so then David is upset and he's like, God, why are you so gnarly? And then it says he goes back three months later with the Levites and they carry it and they bring it in rightly and he's sacrificing unto the Lord. You guys, if you want to be near to God, he needs to be set apart in your life. He needs to be seen as the lion itself. And trip out on this. In verse three, it ends and it's, look what Aaron does. It says, Aaron held his peace. Okay, he just had two sons die in front of him in public. He literally, God literally just killed his two sons and he holds his mouth and he doesn't say a word. Like that was a real human being who just lost his sons and he holds his peace. I think we're more like Job. Like, God, I have some thoughts about this situation. Um, I think you need to hear them. And... And honestly, like, are we, are you able to hold your peace, keep your mouth shut when God says or does something difficult in your life? Or, or do we, like, think God needs, God needs to maybe adjust what he's doing? God isn't actually just. Do we actually put ourselves in the judgment seat? Like, we're the judge, and God's down here, and, and he needs to hear what we think about him. And I think we even say things like, man, God, God would never do that. You see what we're doing? We're like, I'm judging and he's down here. God would never do that. God, he, he, he's not that way. My God, the God I know would never do something like that. Are we able to actually just hold our peace in a moment like that? And then God goes next level in verse six and he says, don't mourn. If you're, Aaron, I, you can't, you're not gonna let your hair hang loose. You're not gonna tear your clothes lest you die. Like, what is that? So, like, 
Side note, mourning is okay and it's biblical. Jesus mourned the death of his friends. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. But what's going on here is God saying, I I need the people to see that you are saying, hey, this is what happened is right. God, you you are right in this. You are right. And so Jesus is, is is a lion still right now. He is the lion of God. And as, as heavy as that is, I, I'm going to read us a, another little list of, of Jesus as the lion and listen to the fact that this lion is for you. Imagine if Jesus was a lamb who's like, I got your back. And he's like, thanks, Jesus, the lamb. He's also a lion who's got your back. He is for you. That you want a God who can be a lion. You actually do. You actually do. So, so listen to this ver- Listen to this list. Jesus as the lion is, is so holy, he will consume any and every imperfection in the universe. There's coming a day where there will be no imperfection. Jesus as the lion is so powerful, he will destroy every last enemy of his. Every person and kingdom and Satan himself will be made a footstool under his feet. He has no limits. Jesus as the lion can do all that he pleases and he does all that he pleases. Listen, Jesus as a lion is this solid rock that you can turn to in times of trouble. You know how they, like this is old school, I think it still happens in a, in a sailing boat. There's this thing called a ballast, which is a weight that keeps the boat from just tipping over in storms. Jesus is like the ballast in your ship. You want him to be gnarly and mighty and like this rock because you're gonna go through storms and Jesus is like, hey, I'm steady, I'm strong, I'm bigger than this storm. Jesus is, the, as the lion, is fully in control of every detail and molecule in the universe, including your life. He is able and works every tragedy in your life, if you are a Christian, for your good. That's Jesus as the lion. He was, Jesus is able to turn the greatest tragedy, his innocent death, into the greatest victory over Satan, sin, and death. Jesus is a lion. Jesus keeps his word. And he is able to say, he's able to, you know, like prophecy, prophecy isn't Jesus like, hey, I'm really smart and I know the future. Prophecy is I control the future. So when I say this is gonna happen, I'm gonna make it happen because I am in control. So every promise in his word, that lion will make it happen. He's that powerful. Jesus as the lion pursues you and is relentless and he's stronger than your sin. Do you know what else? Jesus as the lion is stronger than any person in rebellion to him. He's actually stronger than anyone in rebellion to him. Think about someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus. Do you know why there's hope for them? Because Jesus is stronger than they are. And Jesus is stronger than their rebellion. He is actually able to pursue sinners and outrun their rebellion and save them. And that's what he did for you. You didn't choose him, he chose you. Paul didn't choose him, he chose Paul. Your friends and your family, there's hope for them because Jesus as the lion is able to save them. It is good that Jesus is a lion. And and so I tend to think, and I think this is true, each of us kind of has our favorite, like, oh yeah, but I just like that one, or I just like that one. Um, and we, we have to accept him for who he is. He is the lion and the lamb. 
He is, he is both. And, and think about this, the same fire that came from heaven and blessed and just blew everyone's mind in chapter nine was the same one that killed Nahab and Abihu in chapter 10. So, so God, as this crazy lion and this lamb, we need him both. And, and does your relationship reflect both of those things? If he's, is he only a lamb to you? And I'll say this, beware, watch out, lest you perish like Uzzah or Nahab and Abihu. If he's only a lamb, you need to be really, really careful that he doesn't teach you like he taught David. And if he's only a lion for you, what a tragedy to never know the Lord like David, like Mary Magdalene, like John resting on his chest. What a tragedy to never know the nearness of Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to worship this God right now who is insane. He is so amazing and holy and dangerous and yet safe at the same time. He is able to forgive you of every sin. Yet he, he warns us, hey, like, get your life right. Don't abuse my grace. And look at the response. Chapter 924, this is what we'll end with. This is the response we should have. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Do you see it? Do you see the glory of Jesus? Do you see it? Do you see that Jesus is a lamb for you and your sin? Do you see the fact that he is a mighty, holy lion? Do you see it? And if you do, then our response right now should be to shout and to fall on our face in worship and be undone and draw near to him and, and, and confess our sins to him and be healed by him and receive his spirit to be able to like, maybe right now you need to just like, like John, I just need to like cuddle with Jesus. That's actually what he did. I need that right now. I need to know my sins can be forgiven and I can be loved and embraced by God. And maybe your life is like, I'm kind of just doing my own thing. Maybe right now you need to repent and be like, God, you are holy. Change, may I not abuse your grace. But either way, let's worship this Jesus who can be with us and is near to us and is with us right now in his Holy Spirit. So let me pray for us. Worship team can cruise and let's worship. Jesus, you are the lion and the lamb. You are holy and mighty, and yet you are with us and you are gentle to us. God, I thank you for this just story that honestly about more than anything else, it's just about you, Jesus, and who you are. We have so many problems and stress and sin in our life. God, but, but what we need is, is a fresh vision like this congregation in these stories that, to see who you are to behold your glory, to behold the glory of the Lord. Jesus, if some of us right now are just wrecked over our sin or we're full of shame and embarrassment or we feel so far from you, we feel like there's no way I can be near to Jesus, would you be that, that lamb to us, that gentle, tender lamb who lays his life down for us, who serves us, who says, come to me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I'll care for your soul. If others of us, Lord, are flirting with just kind of making you in our own image and, and adjusting what we think is true about you, would, would we have this, would we remember that you are a mighty lion? And even in your discipline and in, in your love for us, yeah, you discipline us. 
that we would come and come back to you, Jesus? Would sin be repented of tonight, God? Would our own ideas and theology about you that we just like, man, I don't like what the Bible says here, would we be able to confess that? God, I just asked for your presence right now. I ask that fire from heaven, that Holy Spirit, you would fill this place. That we would know that you are with us, that your spirit is here, that you are holy and mighty and near to us, that you are in us. We invite you now. We're desperate for you, Jesus. We're desperate for you, Holy Spirit. Would you come? Would you come now, Lord? Would you appear to us in a fresh way? 